already sent him. <laughs> back here when you first come in the door. Repeat Pat's procedure on Tuesday morning. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta take a dig, it's on. <laughs> what else is pressing for prayer tonight? Going once. All right. Since we are opening the book of Revelation, and we are digging into God's word, God's predictive word. I am a firm believer that spiritual warfare is real. I am a firm believer that Satan attacks the children of God. I am a firm believer that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities of the darkness of the current age. So we are going to spend some time in prayer. Uh, it's going to be popcorn style. If you feel the urge to pray, pray. If you just want to talk to God in your heart, Talk to God in your heart. And then after a little bit, I'll close us out and we will dive into the text. So who would volunteer to open us tonight? All right, Michael. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much um, for a, a really solid church to come to and to learn and to open the word together. Um, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't take it for granted. Yes, pray Lord. that as we sit here tonight, more especially now as we're praying, that we would make sure that our hearts and minds are right as we start to look into the, to the Word. Um, and Lord, I pray that we would not try to bend the Word to what we think, but rather that we would let the Word um, change our thinking, let it renew our minds um, as we submit to it um, humbly. I ask that you would just be with David as he teaches tonight. Um, Lord, give us what we stand in need of tonight. We need instruction from the Word. 
lives. They're more precious thing than the things that are to come. And so I pray that as we as we look at these together, that you strengthen us, encourage us, um, Lord, educate us in what you would have us to know. We thank you for all that you do. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Father, I ask that you hear each and every heart. Father, I ask that you hear each and every heart's cry. Father, we ask tonight for forgiveness of sin. Father, cleanse us. Wash us. Father, prepare us. Father, gird us with your armor. Father, familiarize us with the sword you have given us. Father, prepare us as we take this journey through Revelation. Father, as the enemy comes against us on the left and on the right, Father, lead God and direct us. <clears throat> Father, again, I can't ask hard enough, cleanse us from our sin tonight. Father, both known and unknown. Lord, as David said, if there be any unclean thing within me, reveal it, Lord. Father, reveal that to us that we deal with it. God, that we put it away, Father, that we seek your face and your glory. Father, give us strength day after day to walk. Father, give us eyes to see the enemy at work. And Lord, as you tell us in your word, to be cunning as serpents, but harmless as doves. Father, help us to walk in those ways. Father, we're about to study the times of which, some of which we're living in. And Father, days to come, prepare us for those days. Father, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds. Father, prepare our lives to receive your word. Father, this is divine revelation given by you. Father, to, this, to the disciple that said that you loved, you loved John, there's a special place for him in your heart, God, and I thank you for that. <clears throat> Father, I ask for protection where we need protection in the coming days, months, and years. Father, I ask for wisdom as we walk. Father, I ask for strength for the trials that we must and will endure. Father, I ask for tongues to speak your praise and your glory through those times. Father, lead, guide, direct us. Father, as always, make us more like you. Change us. Father, we're just clay pots. Father, I'm just old clay pot unto dishonor. Lord, may your people hear a lesson better than I'm prepared to teach. May they receive the word that I could never fully explain. Father, may they walk in the presence that we so longingly desire to be in. Father, be with our time. 
Father, may our conversations be joyful. Father, may they be uplifting. May they be glorifying and edifying to you. Father, may we laugh some together. Father, may we dive deep into scripture. And as always, may you be glorified and edified. Father, I ask for Pat's surgery this week. Father, that you be with the nurses and with the doctors. Lord, that you give them guidance. Father, that you give them wisdom. Father, own their skill and their craft this week. Father, we praise you for healing on the other side. We praise you for positive outcomes. Father, we praise you for negative, for whatever. For, Lord, you are sovereign and you are in control. As Pastor talked about this morning, you are the God who protected the bloodline in the Old Testament down to Christ. You protected that perfect, spotless, blameless lamb. And, Lord, on the altar of our sin, you sacrificed him so that you could reconcile yourself to us. Lord, that you could meet us because there's no way we could come meet you. Father, thank you for the opportunity and the freedom to gather tonight. Father, may everything we say and do bring glory and honor to you. Father, we love you. Father, we praise you. And it's in the life-changing name of Jesus the Christ that we ask this. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. We've done three weeks of introduction. Now to dive in. This is your warning. You're walking through a gate that once you walk through, you're held accountable for. You can't say that I wasn't told because we're going to talk about the things that are contained in this book. And, it's, and it tells us this at the very onset of the introduction. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. All right, so what do we have? Well, what are we given? Well, what is this? From the very onset, this, this book is unique in its introduction. It tells us the name of the, of, of the work in the opening line. What is it? Revelation. Revelation. What do we have here? What? We have the word apocalypsis. Apocalypse. Now we could talk about objective and subjective genitives and all that fun stuff, and y'all just walk out and say, huh? So, the revelation of Jesus Christ, is it subjective or objective? It's subjective. It's subjective. Okay? What's, what makes it subjective? If you got answers, you got to defend it. That's my rule. You can answer. Okay, it is what is going to act. 
Okay? Anybody else want to add to that? The subject matter is also the revealed. The subject matter is what is being revealed. Okay? So we say subject. Anybody want to say it's objective? What, what are we saying this for? We want the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is revelation subjective or objective? All right, Katie, you say objective. Why? Um, because if it's a revelation and it's supposed to be like proven fact and there's no feelings involved, objective in the scientific term is I just Google it. So, not open for interpretation. So, I feel like if we're going to look at this as like this is fact, it has to be objective because subjective includes like feelings Correct. and Objectively, we're looking at it as fact and that it's not up for speculation, interpretation, all that fun stuff. Okay? It is subjective in that this is what the book is about. The book of the Revelation is about the revealing of Christ, the apocalypsis of Christ. It's objective in the fact is that it is a concept that is communicated. What's the chain of communication? A dream. Vision. What's the chain of communication, not the mode? Angel. Not the media, the way that it's communicated. It's it's revealed revealed. What? It is revealed to John first. And then John no, it's not revealed to John first. The text tells us. It's revealed to who? Christ. It's revealed to Christ from whom? God. So we've got God giving it to Christ, who then gives it to who? John. No, the angel. Who gives it to John? Who then what? Gives it to us. All right. There's a whole tenth man. we got to read what's on the page. I'm telling you, this is where we trip ourselves up, not reading the words that are on the page. But is this angel Christ? No, it's not Christ. Christ gives it to an angel to give to John. If, if it were Christ, I believe the text would say God gave it to Jesus who gave it to John. Yeah, we'll read that later on. I think it's chapter 7 in which John falls and the angel's like, no, I'm just one of your brethren. Get up. I am not to be worshipped. We see that also in Zechariah as well, I believe. So, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. All right, so God reveals who Christ is. 
Christ makes known who he is to the angel who then goes and tells John who Christ is so that John can then effectively communicate to the church or to us exactly who Christ is. Now, why is this important? I mean, Jesus has already come. And they ask him plainly in his trial, tell us, art thou the Messiah? And he uses the phrase ego imi, which means what? I am that I am. And what do they do? They rip their clothes. Oh, he blasphemes. He claims to be God. Prior to that, they talk about being the sons of Abraham. And he says, surely before Abraham was, ego imi, I am that I am. So we have Christ saying he's God through three and a half years of ministry. So why do we need a revelation? Why do we need an apocalypse or an unveiling of who Christ is? God's affirming it. God's affirming it. Okay. We've got affirmation here. Well, and the revelation <clears throat> includes things that haven't happened yet. So the witnesses to Christ's ministry on earth wouldn't know those things that okay. haven't happened. So it's got prophecy. Why else do we need a revelation? Awareness. Hmm? Awareness. Awareness. <coughs> okay. And we'll put John on this one too. Aaron, Aaron brought it up this morning. Not exactly the way we are going to break it apart tonight, but he brought the concept up this morning. In the collegiate world, when you begin to witness and you begin to speak of things of God, you get these erudite professors that say, well, obviously the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is petty, he is childish, he's an angry child who throws a temper tantrum when he does not get his way. But then you've got Jesus, who is all love and rainbows and sunshine. He's a hippie. He's all about being peaceful and happy. But then in the Revelation, what do we encounter with Jesus? War, bloodshed, pestilences pronounced on mankind. All of a sudden, we've got the God of the Old Testament. There's a reason that when Christ comes, all of a sudden, God's demeanor changes. Throughout the Old Testament, what is God doing? The, old, the entire Old Testament, who does it point to? Jesus. It points to Jesus. <clears throat> it points directly to Christ. The prophecies are about whom? Christ. The law, the feasts, the festivals, they're all talking about who? Christ. The entire New Testament, who's it talking about? Christ. Everything we do, everything in the epistles, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we interact, the way we are called to behave, the epistles point to Christ because it tells us to let's walk as Christ. Our behavior is to point people to Christ. In the beginning, God said, let us create man in our image. Man's supposed to walk in the image of God, which means we are to reflect. We're to be little mirrors of God's character. We are to reflect Christ. So that all these guys, they're looking forward. All these guys are looking back too. Now, 
Is God the same in both halves of the text? Yes. 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 Why? There is no shadow of turning because he's God. God changes not. What is significant about Christ on the earth? No, 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 you said it wrong. Truly. Truly God, truly man. We're talking about essence versus ontology there. So we've got very Dale, very own, he's truly God, truly man. So what? So what? Well, Hercules was a demigod. He was half God, half man. Zeus came down, had an affair with some chick. What you got? Did you say what was the significance? What is the significance of Christ being on earth? One is he was prophesied he was coming. He was prophesied he was coming? How do we change our relationship with God through Christ? How? He's the connection. He's the connection. Atonement. Atonement requires what? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. When you have sacrifice, what is shed? Blood. What is God protecting in Christ? Bloodline. All these so-and-so begot so-and-so, who begot so-and-so, who begot so-and-so that we hate to read. That is God's crimson pathway. The significance of Noah. What was said of Noah? He was found perfect in his generations. The word for generation there talks about genealogy. It talks about his bloodline. And out of Noah, we get Christ. But let's, let's just go, let's, let's talk about it. Out of Noah, we get Abraham. Out of Abraham, we get Isaac. Then we get Jacob. Out of Jacob, we get Judah. The whole story of Joseph has nothing to do with Joseph. It's all about Judah. What is God doing to protect that bloodline? Joseph's bloodline doesn't become the savior of the world. It's Judah's bloodline. So when he goes into these cities and he says, kill the men, women, and the children, they've got a tainted what? Bloodline. And so God is protecting this bloodline at all costs. So after this blood is shed, can God <laughs> allegorically sit back and take a break? Yes, allegorically. It's, it's, God doesn't actually rest on the Sabbath, but he does it as an example. So once Christ has come and that blood is shed, that atonement has been made, that perfect, sacrificial, paschal lamb that has died on the altar and the blood is applied to the lintel and the doorpost, God can, as it were, to really, really dumb down the concept. He doesn't have to be, let's go in and let's kill every living thing in this city. But what he's doing is he's protecting that bloodline because he knows the tainting that would happen. Well, David, we're just talking about reality here. Yes, we're talking about reality, but we know that God is also the God of what could be considered an alternate reality. David asked God, hey, if I were to leave here and go down to Bethel, I think it's Bethel, will Saul's guys come and kill me? What does God say? Yeah. Or if I stay here, will the men hand me over? Yeah. 
So David forms other plans. God is the God not only of this reality, but of every choice we could ever make. And that's kind of mind-blowing. We talk, if you're into Marvel, you talk about the multiverse and the spider-verse and all that fun stuff. Everything that happens because of a choice you made. And we start looking at butterfly effects and all that. But we've got God in the Old Testament who is all about protecting that bloodline, making sure that sacrifice is pure, making sure it's holy, making sure it's exactly what he has designed. And so Christ then comes incarnate because the creation is flesh and blood. And so if God is to redeem it in the concept of like for like, God must also inhabit what? Flesh and blood. And so by man's blood, sin entered. And so by man's blood, sin must be redeemed for all of humanity. So we've got all of this. So now that being said, why the revelation? We've got, yes, we've got God affirming. Yes, we've got prophecy. Yes, we've got an awareness. But Jesus' three and a half years versus the book of Revelation, are they same or are they different? They're a lot different, aren't they? In the Gospels, he's the Paschal Lamb. He's the lamb that makes atonement for sin. He's the lamb that makes atonement. And he is the sacrifice. He is our propitiation. He is the suffering servant. He is the one that God saw fit to crush and to bruise for our transgressions. But is that the Jesus we see in Revelation? No. No, like Aaron said this morning, he is the king coming on the white horse. And he has the robe that is dipped in the blood of his enemies. He's got his name upon his thigh, a name that no other knows. And he, carried, he comes with the host of the heavenly armies and his bride to wreak havoc on the Antichrist. And he doesn't even pull a sword out of a sheath. He doesn't pull out a spear. He vanquishes the foe by the sword that protrudes from his mouth by the very word of God. Jesus spoke a lot of words. I got a lot of red in my Bible. But does he vanquish anybody with it? He curses a fig tree. We've got the revelation because God wants us to know exactly who this Jesus is. He wants us to know exactly who, in whom we have believed. Who it is that we are persuaded that is able to keep what we have committed unto him against that day. He is no longer the suffering servant. He is no longer the one crushed and bruised for our iniquity. He is now the king coming. He is now the, the inheritor of the estate. He is now the son of the vineyard keeper that we see in Isaiah chapter 5. The revelation is for us. It's given. It's something given by God to Christ. All right, my son, I want you to let people know who you are now. When Christ goes into Gentile territory and he encounters demon-possessed people, what do the demons always say? We know who you are, thou Jesus, son of the most high. And what does Jesus say? Be quiet. quiet. Hush mouth. It is not that time yet. Shut up. But now we have a revealing. Now we have given to us as much as our mind can understand the coming of the king. So and this Jesus that Revelation describes is 
sounds like the the Messiah that the religious leaders were expecting. That the Jews were expecting. Remember, in prophecy, Old Testament prophecy specifically, we have an already but not yet fulfillment. All Old Testament prophecy has a short-term fulfillment to give validity to the long-term prophecy. That's why in Isaiah where it talks about a virgin shall conceive. Now the word can be used two different ways and in the Hebraic script it was used two different ways but when the Septuagint is written, do we remember under which emperor it's written? Of the Seleucids? Or excuse me, not the Seleucids but under the Ptolemies? Ptolemy II. He commissions what's called the Septuagint. What's the Septuagint? Greek. It's Greek. It's the, it's the 70. He gets, he gets the best scholars, the best, 70 of the best Jewish scholars together, and over the course of 10 years, they hash out the Old Testament scrolls, and they put in Greek what the scrolls are saying. And that's where we get part of our translation for our Bible. Every time you see Jesus quoting Old Testament scripture, he's quoting Septuagint scripture the Septuagint understanding of the scripture. So, we see the word. Now, we take that the virgin shall conceive, and we add 700 years to that, to where we get who? Mary. Mary! We add 700 years to the prophecy given out by Isaiah, actually probably about 750, and we end up with Mary. But now, the king's daughter that this is written under actually has a child, during that time, and so you could look at it as a short-term fulfillment to a long-term. We go from a maiden having a child to the legitimate Greek term for a virgin, a woman who has not had sexual relations with a man conceiving and bearing a child. So we've got short-term fulfillment to long-term prophecy. Just like you said, this is the guy that the, that the Jews are looking for. Were they looking for the suffering servant? No. no, we love Isaiah. Isaiah was a great prophecy. Hey, you know, if I'd have been around, I wouldn't have killed Isaiah like our fathers did. <laughs> okay, what else? This is the guy they're looking for. This is the military leader. This is the strong king coming to set up his kingdom. And we know that that's what they're looking for from the Olivet Discourse. What do Peter, James, John, and Andrew ask? What will be the sign of your coming and what will be the signs of the ends of the age is when will you set up your kingdom? Even, even the disciples, the apostles at this point are still walking in that. They've not understood the suffering, the, the splitting of the prophecy. Remember we talked about the two mountains. Way, way, way away they look like one but the closer you get we've got two and there's a valley in between. Right now we're in about a 2,000 year valley. Could be a few more years. It could end tomorrow. So, questions, comments, thoughts so far? So now we have an operations clause to deal with. What are the three B's in this operations clause? The three what? The three B's. Blessed is the, what's the first one? The reader. What's the second one? Blessed is the hearer. What's the third one? The one who keeps. 
Blessed is the keeper, the one who needs. Now, when this is written, the vast majority of people did not read. So they're kind of out on the first aspect. The learned folks, they would read. But when they read and they read it aloud, what do the people then do? Hear. They hear. And so we've got, there's a blessing in the reading, there's a blessing in the hearing. What's the blessing in the reading? What, well, what are some ideas of what being blessed by reading this might be? That you have the opportunity to read it. You have the opportunity to read it, okay. Or the ability. Opportunity, ability. Public reading, you have the ability to share. Let's, let's call that witness. The, the, the opportunity to witness. Any other thoughts? Why does the blessed be able to witness with this? What are you doing when you do that? Telling everybody what's happening. You're telling everybody what's happening? What's, what's going to happen? happen? What's going to happen? Depends on your point of view, which one of the four you hold to. Well, it's an opportunity to, to lead people to Christ. You're heaping up for yourself treasure in heaven. You got treasure, an opportunity. All right. Why is it blessed to be a hero? Opportunity to do something about it. Opportunity to heed. What else? What else might be a blessing for the hearer? You can go back to the first one, back to witnessing. You can go back to witnessing. What was that, Bill? <laughs> Education. So you won't be ignorant. Is there another blessing in it? What about the fact that somebody loved you enough to tell you the truth? That somebody thinks enough of your soul that they value your soul enough to tell you about what's coming. Well, that's just hate speech. Jesus, Jesus is love. He loves me. He's, he's never going to send anybody to hell. Why would he do that? Jesus, Jesus is all about love and love is love. <laughs> Matthew Vines. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. The hearer is blessed because somebody thought enough to relay the truth, to convey real truth, not subjective truth, but objective truth. And we're going to go with what Katie defined as objective, that there is concrete fact to things. If you don't think there's such a thing as objective truth, let, let us mess up your paycheck. Where's the blessing in the keeping? Heaven and hell. Heaven and hell is the blessing. Yes. Having knowledge, like Katie said. Being obedient. Obedient. Treasures again. Treasure again. What about that little 
phrase that Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your reward. Now, obviously, God is the one that makes this promise. So not only do we have these, but I'm sure there's stuff we haven't even begun to scratch the surface on as far as blessings with the words that are contained within Revelation. So, but I do want us to remember that who's it written to? Us. It's written to us. And as we get into chapters 2 and 3, we're going to talk about us a little bit more in Scripture. All right, well, let's carry on. Any, any questions so far? People read this verse, and I know there are people that are afraid to read the book of Revelation. I don't understand it. But if they read this and see the blessings, it, it makes sense for you to spend time with it. It does make sense to spend time with it until you consider the gravitas of this. There's a tremendous amount of gravity in this statement because we see the Beatitudes, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are they that, blessed are the meek, and when we go through that whole list, but then in Revel, or excuse me, Matthew 23, we come across eight woes. The converse to blessing is going to be what, biblically? Woe. So what can we say here? Woe to him who does not read. Woe to him who does not hear. Woe to him who does not keep. Now we got plenty of people that are willing to read. We have plenty of people that are willing to hear. But it's generally that third one that gets us. Very few people are willing to keep what's written in these books. Very few people are willing to heed. We, we will heed up to our comfort level, and then we'll say, God, no more. I'm, I'm, I'm tapping out, God. I'm done. That comfort level that we have is what keeps us from really walking into this blessing. And I speak to myself first and foremost before I point any fingers out to the body. If I don't read, I get none of these blessings. So without the opportunity and the ability, uh, without the opportunity to witness, without the opportunity to gain treasure, it's woe for me. Without the opportunity to heed, to, I, I didn't have a chance to give a warning. I didn't, I didn't have a chance to heed that warning, God. Nobody told me, well, that, that in our physical lives, that means nobody loved us enough to warn us. We, we love that subjective truth, my truth, your truth, their truth, somebody else's truth. And I, this is where we are in our society right now. We've had guys that have read, and we've had guys that through their reading, they've witnessed. But right now, we're in the hearer stage on this. People don't want to hear because they don't want to heed. We don't want there to be a God because if there really is the God, then what are we responsible for? Our sin. We've got that guilt. If, we, if we're not focused on who God is and heeding who God is, we're going to fall into all these various sins. And when we fall into these, these deep lies 
to sin. We don't want there to be a God. We long for there not to be a God. We cry out to <laughs> nobody for there to not be a God because if there is a God and we have not read, we have not heard, and we have not heeded, then we are guilty and we are to be condemned for our sin. And Jesus is fully justified in Revelation to say, depart from me into outer darkness, into the flame that is prepared for the set for the Antichrist and his angels, for the devil. Get out. And so that's why I say we're stepping through a door. This is a tremendous responsibility. I, if you come or not, that's, that's entirely on you. But if you're going to study this book, whether you study it now or whether you study it later, there is tremendous responsibility here. There's great blessing. And I hate to be all like Marvel with it, but with great ability comes great responsibility. As Uncle Ben told Spider-Man, told Peter Parker, but there's a responsibility that comes from this. If we're going to read, there's an almost an obligation to witness it. And if we're witnessing it, we will have an opportunity to hear. And in hearing, there is a responsibility to heed. And in heeding, there is a responsibility to accept a truth our society does not like. We love the all-loving God. Well, God is just love, and he's just so loving, and he doesn't send anybody to hell, and this is the pathway to universalism, and we'll all burn if we stay on it. God is love. But love is not demonstrated by not telling somebody that the bridge is out. Oh, you're doing 55. You're doing great. Your car sounds great. It looks great going down the road. Never mind the bridge is out a mile down and you pop a hill and there's the bridge out and you don't have time to stop. Love is like, hey, your car is great, but um, it's going to end up in the river or down in the canyon if you don't slow down and turn around. That's love. But our society has not only twisted erotic love, it's twisted agape love, and it's twi twisted phileo love. We've twisted our, the way we view sex. We've twisted the way we view friendships. We've twisted the way that we view just general love to one another without condition. Now, unconditional love doesn't mean irresponsible love. And that's what our society has done. Unconditional love is I love you no matter what, but it's not irresponsible. It says, I love you, but there are things that have to be done to deal with certain things. I love you. You have offended me, so we need to work through this. If you have offended, you need to apologize. You need to make atonement. You need to deal with the problem. But our society doesn't want to do that. Well, you don't, you're not loving me unconditionally at that point. You've got conditions on your love. No, that's not what unconditional love means. There is a responsibility in unconditional love. My wife and I have unconditional love. Do I offend her? All the time. Does she offend me? Never. <laughs> but just because we fight and just because we argue about things doesn't mean that we don't love each other. 
the fact that we do fight, the fact that we do argue does mean that we love each other because if I didn't love her, oh, well, <laughs> I'll just go get another one. Get rid of this one. I can find another one in a few weeks. But love means never having to say you're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. That is one of society's biggest lies. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> no, love means you say, you wake up, I'm sorry, sweetheart. <laughs> and you go to the bathroom, I'm sorry, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, but see, just in the first paragraph, we have met society's woes. We have met mankind where mankind is. We have met him. Let me go. We have met man at his basis because God offers a blessing just to read, just to hear, just to keep. And they grow in magnitude. It's the opportunity to witness. And in the witnessing, the opportunity to show others love. And in showing that love, the opportunity to keep up for yourself treasures in heaven so that you can then hear from Christ Almighty, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your reward. Anything else while we're here before we carry on? Christ boils the law down. Now, in the law, there's a ton of side to side. There's also a ton of up and down. Now, we can have side to side, how we treat people. Well, my mama raised me to treat people the way I wanted to be treated. And we have folks that do that that don't go to church. We have folks that do that that do not believe in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We have folks that do that that don't believe they're a sinner, but they treat people great. They do. Uh, there are people that give their lives for other people, but have no relationship with God whatsoever. And so we've got a small taste of side to side. But when we start dealing with God, we start dealing with that up and down relationship. Now, what's part of that up and down relationship? That side to side. You cannot have the up and down. You cannot have the relationship with God and it not spill over into the side to side. Greatest commandments, what? 
Love the Lord God with all you got. The second is like to it. says what? Love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang what? The law and the prophets. The entire totality of scripture in Jesus' life at the moment hangs on those two commandments. And basically when we get to Acts chapter 15 and we start talking about what, what do we really want the Gentiles to do other than the, the, the blood and the sexual immorality, this is basically where they're pushing Gentiles to go. Pursue God with all you've got and that'll spill over. If you're honoring God, if you're seeking after God, if you're looking after God's face, God commands all these different things in how you treat your enemies, how you treat your friends, how you treat family, what's the order of operations, how you show respect, to whom do you show respect, how do you show respect. And as we're seeking God's face, the natural overflow is down here to the side to side. And so we can have side to side, but it's not near the relationship as when we're focusing on our up and down. And so we see that here. We see God calling us to that up and down relationship here in the introduction. We see God establishing that there is blessing, that there is cursing available, that there is responsibility. Anything else? Going once. Going twice. Sold to an American. All right. We'll begin this. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. All right. Yeah, what are some of them? 
more than seven churches? Yeah! What are they? Church of Bob's. Do what? We know the seven. Katie. Asia is Asia Minor. When we, when we talk about Asia in terms of the Roman Empire, we're talking about as far east as parts of Afghanistan, the westernmost parts of Afghanistan, through Turkey, um, northern into what we would call the Balkan states, and down into the Middle East some. That's considered Asia Minor. Okay, so when we talk about Asia, what are, what are some other churches that are there besides these seven? Katie. What? Ephesus is in Greece. That's one of the seven. That's one, but that's one, oh, excuse me, it's in Turkey, but it's one of the seven. It's right across the Hellespont. What was that? Laodicea is one of the seven. I want churches that are outside the seven. Do we have, do we have a book in our Bible called Colossians? churches in Asia Minor, right? Yes, there's more than seven churches in Asia Minor. But uh, <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to name them, apparently. Now it's GCA. Blue curve for everybody. But God picks these seven churches specifically and as we go through the letters, uh, for those of you that were with us for that portion of Daniel, I'm sorry, hang on. Uh, for those of you that weren't, we're going to slow down so that we can get everybody on the same page as we go back through the letters. So as we go through, if you've got new information other than what we covered, please feel free to share. Uh, if not, then y'all just stop listening to me. But we've got John to the seven churches which are in Asia. How does he introduce it? Grace and peace. This is the normal epistle introduction. Grace and peace to you. But we've got two concepts here. In grace, we have a Greek concept of a peace. But in, in the word peace, what, what we have here is we have shalom. So we have the Hebrew understanding. So we've got two different understandings of a very similar concept, even though in actuality they mean slightly different things. Grace is like is like blessing. But then we've got peace, which is the absence of cursing. So not only do we have blessing, but we have an absence of cursing in that, so we don't have to worry about the blessing needing to outweigh the cursings in our life. Okay, so we've got a standard epistle introduction. So what frame of mind should that put us into as we read Revelation? If we've got what would be considered a standard epistle, what are the epistles for? Encouragement, correction, instruction. They're there to teach us how to walk the life. Now we just encountered that we need to be in that frame of mind, right? In the three blessings. Blessed is the reader, blessed is the hearer, and blessed is the one who keeps, keeps who heeds. So we've got that we, we, we're getting that we're going to need to be following something that's going on. We're going to need to read it like an epistle. We're going to need to understand that it's for our what? Benefit. 
our benefit, that is for our betterment. The epistles are for your betterment. They are to correct bad behavior. They are to correct the way churches are behaving incorrectly. They're, they're to correct bad views of theology. They're to correct misviews of who God is and who God was and what God has done. It's to put churches into correct doctrine. Now, I know that's a bad word in the church today, doctrine. A lot of churches don't like to talk about doctrine. They don't want to preach doctrine. Well, we offend people when we talk about doctrine. <laughs> well, I hope so. If you're not offended when you go to church some, you're not. Your preacher's not preaching. Or you're not paying attention. Or you're not paying attention. <laughs> you're, you're sitting out there at the church coffee shop at the Hebrews. And <laughs> so why seven? So why seven? It's almost why seven. <laughs> well, back in Genesis chapter 6. <laughs> Why not seven? It's a number that's, of that's, completeness. Uh, there's, there's a couple different views, but it's seven churches. That's there are seven churches. All right. Let's do some biblical numbers right quick. We've got seven on the table. What are some other biblical frequently mentioned numbers? Three. Twelve. Three. Twelve. What else? Forty. Seven. What was that? Forty. 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 Ten. Ten. What else? We've got fives. We encounter fives. How? There are always multiples of tens, right? Five toes on each of the feet of the statue. Remember when we talked about five when we start getting into five or ten or when ten is separated? You've got the five, you've got the ten virgins, five foolish, five wise. What are some other numbers we encounter in the Bible? Hmm? 49. What else? 24. We encountered twice in the scripture. 153. What was that? 153. 153. We encountered that once in the Bible. Where do we encounter 153? Fish. Fish. Why 153? Because God said, let's catch 153 biggest today. All the different types of... 144,000. 12,000. All kinds of multiples of these. Michael brought up that the reason 153, it's believed that they had 153 known countries at the time, whether they be city-states, or huge nations or empires like Rome, that there were 153. And so if the men are to capture 153 fish, meaning they're to do what? You will be my witnesses in? Every nation. Let's, let's start. You'll be my witness here in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's not flat. <laughs> Imagine how embarrassing that is. I believe in a flat earth, but look at the round planets out there. Right. You've got to wonder, okay? It's a pizza thing. It's a pizza thing. All right. I, I'm going to give this little physics lesson to you for free. Awesome. Awesome. If the earth were flat, where would be the 
the center of gravity. Right here, right? And so if you live out here on the edge, where are you going to be pulled to? You're going to be pulled to right there. So the fact that we're not all <laughs> like this is proof the Earth isn't flat. Okay. Thomas. Where does Thomas go? said there were seven churches because they were not only a magic number of seven, but because they were major postal districts. They are. These seven particular churches are along what's called the Silk Road, and so they're the first, post, the first seven postal districts. They're the points of dissemination of information all throughout Asia Minor and what will be eventually into Asia. But we're going to be a little more dispensational about that once we get into chapters two and three. Anything else? Questions, comments, thoughts, snarks, complaints? Uh, and you'll take your complaints. <laughs> She's not here, so she volunteered. Anything else? All right, somebody close this out in prayer, and we'll call it a week. Yes, Father. 